Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of John, first chapter, verses 43 through 51. Hear the words of our Lord. Uh, the next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the Law and Prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son, the one from Nazareth. Nathanael responded, Can anything from Nazareth be good? Philip said, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, to, said about him, Here is a genuine Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, I saw you under a fig tree. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are God's son. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You will see things greater than these. I assure you, you will see heaven open and God's angels going up to heaven and down to earth on the human one. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. This past week in the children's area, one of our very own children um, in, in the program uh, was going around asking all of us leaders, saying to us, rather, hey, uh, someone's birthday is coming up next week. All of us leaders in the room said, uh, well, okay, how, how old are you going to be? Thinking that maybe it was his birthday that he was talking about. But he said, no, it's not mine. Someone asked, well, whose birthday is it? Full of frustration, this kid says, ah, you have to know whose birthday is next week. So we all stood there puzzled, wondering whose birthday it could have been. And this kid shook, stood and shook his head in pure disappointment. But then he proceeded to give us one more hint. He said, who did you study when you were in the third grade? After a while, it dawned on me what day was coming up, and I sat there quietly with a smile on my face. Finally, someone said, it's Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. The boy kind of just sat there like, wow, I can't believe it took you that long to figure it out. But it brings me great joy to know that a boy at his age was fully aware of the significant impact that Martin Luther King had on our nation. So today, as um, I think it's kind of important and it's vital for us to remember Dr. King, not only because it's his birthday tomorrow or for the prominent role he played in the civil rights movement, but as we continue our sermon series, um, Resolved, and discuss the importance of building bridges, we remember the greatest bridge builder of modern history. On August 28, 1963, during the uh, March on Washington, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his I Have a Dream speech to over 250,000 supporters from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Toward the end of his speech, 
he said these words. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. One day, right here in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I think that it's safe to say that Martin Luther King would be proud of this church and this congregation for the vision that we are committed to as we carry on the heritage of building bridges between different communities as Dr. King once fought for. In this chapter of John, um, the first chapter particularly, the central theme is the divine logos, the word that is with God and the word that was God. This word, this logos, became flesh and dwelt among humanity in a person named Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, God became human and God's truth and grace was revealed to humankind through Jesus. John regards Jesus as an ordinary human being who had actual flesh and, blood, flesh and blood, just as other people did. But the most significant thing about Jesus is that the divine word was present in him. And all the marvelous things that he went on to accomplish were by the power of God. In this way, John paints a picture of the relationship between the divine and the human. He paints a picture of God dwelling among the people. This chapter reveals God building bridges with humanity through Christ. As the chapter goes on, we find John the Baptist so excited and full of the Spirit, he runs to tell everyone about Jesus being the Messiah. Jewish leaders, priests, and Levites were all so confused at this point because previously John was preaching and baptizing and drawing in huge crowds. They thought for sure he was the fulfillment of their expectations. But time and time again, John had to tell them, he's not the one to fulfill the prophecy. He says, I only baptize with water. There is someone greater than me among you, but you don't recognize him. Although he comes after me, John says, I am unworthy to even untie his sandals. In other words, John is telling the leaders that the Messiah is among them. Yes, the Messiah is here, but in the most least expected way. Now fast forward a bit. When John the Baptist is standing, just hanging out with some of his disciples, and suddenly Jesus happens to roll by, John points out Jesus, and just like that, the disciples decide to follow him. It doesn't take much. The disciples begin to tell those close to them, their friends and family, that they have found the Messiah, which eventually leads to Jesus finding his 12 disciples. But before that is where our scripture takes place. Jesus, most likely on a mission to find and complete his group of disciples, wanders into Galilee. He encounters a guy named Philip and tells Philip to follow him. And just like that, Philip becomes a follower of Christ. Later on, Philip runs to his brother Nathaniel. At first, Nathaniel seems like the antagonist of the chapter, but we soon find out that he actually has the greatest transformation of them all. 
After Philip tells Nathanael that they have found the Messiah, he mentions, oh yeah, um, by the way, Philip, um, by the way, Nathanael, the Messiah, yeah, that guy, he's from Nazareth. Nathanael is shocked and in total disbelief and wonders what good can come from that place. See, in Jesus' time, Nazareth was a village of about 150 people. It had no industry of its own. The people there were not of the educated class, and if they wanted to make a living, it would be done by hard labor. They struggled horribly, and the people of Nazareth didn't think much of themselves, nor did they have a lot to aspire to. The natives of Nazareth were often looked down upon by neighboring cities and towns. So Nathaniel is probably thinking, why in the world would the Messiah come from that place? It's impossible. Those people are different. They look different. They act different. They live different. They're lesser people than me. These are probably the thoughts that are going through Nathaniel's head. What would anyone from that part of the world have to offer to us? Nathaniel begins to make assumptions about Jesus before he even talks to him, which causes us to wrestle with these questions. How often do we call into question the God-given gifts and graces of others based on their gender, education, socioeconomic status? How often do we deny the work that God is doing in the life of others based on their race, ethnicity, or nationality? How often do we make assumptions about a group of people because of their differences before we even get to know them? Truth is, each and every one of us bring in our personal, our own personal biases to certain situations. But what we learn from this passage is that Jesus is offering us an invitation to come see, to come cross the bridge and make amends within our hearts. But this can only happen when we are in relationship with the other. And we also learn from this passage that it's up to us to accept that invitation, as Nathaniel did. An article I read this week talked about a story of a wrongfully accused man and an officer's journey to find reconciliation and friendship. Let's take a look at this video to see how these enemies became best pals. We end this week with a lesson in forgiveness from Steve Hartman on the road. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Well, basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail? Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? 
That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports, planting drugs and stealing. Of course, Jamal was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side by side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. I, he, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. Grab this one, set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And just a side note, they actually wrote a book together. Um, and disclaimer, I haven't read the book, so I can't tell you how good it is. But if someone checks it out, just let me know. Um, but in a different interview, former officer Andrew is recorded saying, on that day, I was convinced Jamel was guilty. When he came out of the store, he looked like a drug dealer. When I Look back now, Jamel, who is now my friend, wasn't dressed much differently than he is today. But on that day, I was fully convinced he was guilty. It wasn't until we got to talking and became friends that I really had to reconcile in myself that this was a completely innocent man. It wasn't until Andrew accepted the invitation into Jamel's life that he encountered the fullness of Christ's love and forgiveness. When these men made amends and joined each other in relationship, the spirit began to move and God uses them and their story to change lives around the world each and every day. When we encounter Jesus, when we accept Christ's invitation to come see, there's a transformation that happens within us, which allows us to make amends with one another as Jamel, Jamel and Andrew did. We are able to cross bridges into unknown territory where the fullness of God's truth and grace can be found. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>